0: Alright, if you got your Bibles, open to Proverbs chapter 9, Proverbs chapter 9, and then Genesis chapter 38 we will continue our weird story of Judah and Tamar, alright? Okay? Uh, uh, Again, Proverbs chapter 9 and then Genesis chapter 38. I've got good and bad news for you. Um, I only made it halfway through the sermon in the first service, and so uh, we're going to stop this one halfway through so we can get done on time, okay? Uh, But here's the plan. Proverbs chapter 9 and then Genesis chapter 38. Starts with this question. Have you ever been in a Bad situation that could have been avoided. You ever been in a bad situation that could have been avoided? Those are the worst, right? Because the whole time you're going through it, you're going, "I didn't have to be here. I chose to be here, Uh, somewhat indirectly, sometimes, sometimes very directly." Uh, But the problem that could have been avoided are particularly awful for us. All right, Um, you've been in a situation that could have been avoided. I want to tell you a story that I don't tell very often. Okay, Um, but it is truly. If you ever have somebody who says, "Hey, what's your most embarrassing moment?" This is. One of those stories for me, okay? In fact, this might be top of the list. So, um, back in the day, I had a couple of wrecks. Okay? But both of them were when I was 16 years old and uh, a young man driving a stick shift when I really should not have been driving a stick shift. Any of you standard people in this room? There you go. You're the real drivers, right? You're the real drivers. And you don't mind telling people all the time that you're <laughs> the real drivers, right? So back in the day, my parents gave me a deal and they said, hey, whatever you make the summer before you turn 16, we will double that amount and we'll buy you a car with that money. So I immediately was like, man, I can make a cool 30, 40 grand this summer. You know what I mean? And I'll uh, you know, have enough to get that Corvette. I wanted my dream car was a Hunter Green Z71 pickup truck. That's what I wanted more than anything. So I'm looking at that stuff. Well, after a summer of painting houses for my granddad, I left with $1,500. All right. Saved up a cool 1500 So that meant I had three grand to spend on a car. Well, my parents and I found a 1987 Honda Accord, all right? It was a great vehicle, and it was special because it had the pop-up headlights. You remember the pop-up headlights on the car? Okay, it looked like Night Rider, you know what I mean? Pop-up headlights on the car. I remember I just felt so cool because of those pop-up headlights. What you don't know is all you got to do is bump those things, and they don't come up anymore, and then you can't drive at night, all right? So anyway, all that to say, I get this car. It's a standard. And I had no business driving a standard, okay? I was a suburban kid, had no business driving a standard. And so I started driving this car, and um, it also was very, very small, and it had no cup holders. That was the other thing on this car, had no cup holders. Apparently up until 1987, no one drank in their car, and so uh, they had no cup holders. All that to say, I'll never forget, one day, right across the street from my high school, was a Sonic drive-in. Are you familiar with Sonic drive-in, okay, Sonic. A delicious, great place, but because it was right across the street from the school and we had open lunch, all these students would walk over, I mean hundreds of students would walk over and they would have lunch at the Sonic, but if you drove, it was across the street. If you drove, you could pull into one of the drive-in spots, and you could get your food before everybody else and turn up that factory stereo super loud with whatever song that you wanted to listen to. This is at Monterey High School, all right? So I'm right across the street at Sonic, but I've made the poor decision to brag to my friends about my 1987 Honda Accord, and I've driven instead of walked. That was avoidable mistake number one. Then I've got my buddy, Kyle Gould, sitting next to me. He was our defensive end. Kyle was six foot five and about 225 pounds at that point, so he's sitting in the car like this, all right? And we're sitting next to each other in that Honda, and we pull in, we make our order, and we order a Route 44 Cherry Limeade, all right? okay. Route 44 meant 44 ounces of soda, and because there was no cup holder, avoidable mistake number two is I decided I was going to take that Route 44 for cherry limeade, and I could wedge it between the seat and the parking brake over there on the side, and that was how I could hold that drink. So i wedge that thing in there, get it in the right spot what is the thing now now this is funny i asked this question in the first service what is it that you do not want to do in a standard now it's so funny the first service they said you don't want to be on a hill i immediately stopped because that never crossed my mind because there were no hills where i was from okay (laughs) so listen on a hill is one thing other than on a hill when you're a new driver of a standard what do you not want to do in front of people Stall, Pop the clutch, right? That's what you don't want to do more than anything, because you, like you look like a new driver, right? So I put it in to, sorry, put it into reverse, and I pull back out. we 're playing our music super, super loud, all right, so everybody can hear out of that factory stereo, and we whip into reverse. I whip it into first gear, and sure enough, there's probably between two and three hundred high school kids out there in the parking lot. I pop the clutch, But when I do? all of a sudden that soda goes whoosh 44 full ounces of soda all across the front of my pants and it was cold and so in that moment i go oh no and when i do wham i'd forgotten to take my foot off the gas pedal and i slammed back i slammed into the back of a parked car in front of all those students, in front of all my friends, my reputation's ruined. But I've not just hit a car. I have hit a 1970 Ford Bronco with jacked up tires. My car is underneath the Bronco and it has shoved the bumper of the Bronco up into the side of the door so that the person can't get out. I get out of the car and I'm soaking wet and I get out of the car and when I do, all my friends are laughing at me and Kyle, the dude sitting next to me is laughing the hardest. I mean, that's just wrong, right? He's cracking up, and I'm sitting there going, all this could have been avoided. What was I doing? Because of the bumper, it's jammed the side door so the dude can't get out of his car. But his girlfriend gets out on the other side, and she lets me have it with a string of curse words like I've never heard before or since. Just let me have it. And you guys, some of you know me, I just went, I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry. Everybody's laughing at me. I mean, this is before camera phones, thank the Lord, all right? And so nobody's taking pictures, okay? I mean, there might have been one of those disposable click, right, 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 you know, I mean, whatever it was, right? But everybody's laughing at me. Well, then, finally, the dude gets out of the car. He climbs out the window because the door's stuck. He steps out of the car, big old handlebar mustache, and no lie, his name is Bubba. I hit Bubba's baby Bronco, all right? (laughs) Bubba gets out, and he's got his fist clenched. And he goes, boy, you got anything to say for yourself? And you know what I thought? I thought he's going to hit me, and I deserve it. You know what I mean? You ever thought that before? I was like, I deserve it because I hit his car. Hit a parked car. He's going to punch me. I deserve it. So I just kind of closed my eyes and waited. And then all of a sudden, Bubba starts to laugh. Well, he stops, and he goes, I can't hit you, boy. He goes, I couldn't hit a man who just wet himself. He saw the soda. It's a true story. It's a true story. He saw the soda, thought I wet myself, all right? Now, I tell you that story to tell you. Most of that was avoidable. Most of it was avoidable. What was I doing driving over there, showing off? I'm still getting punished for showing off. It just, I'm telling you, it was a very avoidable mistake plowing into that parked car, trying to wedge the drink in there. Again, all avoidable mistakes. And then I had to pay for the damage to his vehicle later on. The whole time thinking it wasn't worth the cherry limeade to do this in this moment. So here's what's interesting. An avoidable mistake is what scripture calls folly. Some of you need to write that down, okay? Folly means an avoidable mistake. Sometimes when you see folly, it's got kind of this flowery uh, this flowery view of the word. Uh, it really just means an avoidable mistake. And in Proverbs, we hear about the battle between folly and wisdom, avoidable mistakes and having a true understanding of what it is we should do to live with integrity. Look with me, if you will, at Proverbs chapter 9, and we're going to start in Verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Robert chapter 9, verse 1. Now wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. Underline its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed it with wine, and she has also set her table. Underline uh, the meat, the wine, and then set her table. She has sent out her maids and she calls. Look at this. From the highest point in the city, let all who are simple come in here. Underline that all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, Come, eat my food, and drink my wine uh, that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Now stop there for just a minute. Sometimes we can get real prideful when we see a word like simple. And you go, What is he trying to say here? Now, what the writer in Proverbs is telling us, that word simple means that you you don't have to be an intellectual to have wisdom isn't that a good word you don't have to be smart enough to gain wisdom wisdom is available to the simple and not only that wisdom is not hiding from you wisdom in your circumstance is at the highest point in the city the idea is that you don't have to you don't have to really dig to find wisdom wisdom is available here's how that fits for you in your circumstance so many times we come up in the city and we go it's so complicated My situation is so complicated. Lord, what should I do? This world is so difficult. My situation is so difficult. How do I navigate this in relationships, in my work environment, with my family? What is it I'm supposed to do? Remember the words in Proverbs 9. Wisdom is at the highest point in the city, highly visible and accessible. And she says, come into my house. And her house is safe Seven pillars, that, word, that number seven is there because it's the perfect number. It means that the foundation and the structure of wisdom's home are fully safe for you to be able to come into. And then she says, come in, I've prepared a meal for you. I'll sustain you, I'll help you, I'll walk you through this difficulty, even if you're not one who you would consider to be smart. What a powerful word there. Now here's what's interesting. We're about to get the enemy of wisdom. And that is folly. Look at what happens next. In Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. The one in between this is the mocker. We'll get to the mocker another day, but let's talk about, uh, let's talk about uh, folly. Look at verse uh, 13. It says, The woman folly is loud. She's undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house, look at this, on a seat at the highest point of the city. Interesting, isn't it? Calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that they are dead there. That her guests are in the depths of the grave. Stop right there for just a minute. Folly, an avoidable mistake, and wisdom are both very, very, in your life you can find both of those voices you can see them in action around you and they call out to you and the woman folly is loud is loud haven't you figured out at this point that the loudest voice is not necessarily the most right in your life the woman folly is loud sitting with the same authority that wisdom has and yet wisdom sustains you and walks you through difficulty but folly folly seeks to take you down to the grave to put you in your place. So if you're taking notes today, our big million dollar question is this. How do you protect yourself from folly? How do you protect yourself from an avoidable mistake? And in this city, we are very apt to folly because it's a very loud city. Coming from Texas, I've had a lot of people ask me what it's like, what the biggest difference is in living in D.C. And I always will tell them, it's very similar to where we came from before. But here, there's like a megaphone in this city. And it's just so much louder here, right? People have figured out in our country that if you stand close to the megaphone, that more people will listen to you. It means that wisdom and folly are there together, and they call out from the highest point in the city. And we've got to be wise enough to find wisdom and not fall in to folly. How do you protect yourself from falling into those temptations, those avoidable mistakes that end up causing you great trouble later? We've got a case study. Flip back over to Genesis chapter 38. We'll continue our study on the life of Joseph and in looking into the situation here with Judah and with his daughter-in-law Tamar. I want to encourage you again. This is a weird story. Stick with me, and I pray that the Spirit would speak through you it would speak to you today. Are you ready? Genesis thirty-eight, and now we're going to look at verse eleven. It says, So Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. Stop there for just a minute. If you remember our study from last week, Judah runs away from his father and their family as a cover-up to the crime they've committed by selling their brother, by human trafficking their brother Joseph into slavery. He then leaves because he's worried that the brothers are going to come up and say it's Judah's fault because he was the one who suggested this. So he's run away, and he's run away ironically with a dude named Hera. We we'll get to Hera in just a second. Hera encourages Judah to go on the run to Canaan and then he encourages him to marry a Canaanite woman who worships a different god than he worships and uh, to raise their family there. Not only that, he has three sons. Judah then gets this woman Tamar to be the wife of his first son and then the son dies because he does wickedness in the eyes of the Lord. According to the social structure of the day, remember we talked about this, basically the life insurance policy for a young widow, was that then someone else in the family was supposed to father a child so, they could, uh, so that she could have a, an heir to take care of. That's what happens with Onan, but Onan refuses to father the child. So Onan is wicked, and in his wickedness he also ends up passing away. Well, at that point, what he's supposed to do is make sure that Tamar is taken care of by attaching her to Shelah, the youngest son. But... We found out in the passage that we've got this guy Judah going, I don't want to do that. I want to keep all our wealth to ourselves. I don't want to spread it out any further. So he decides that he's just going to put her on the back burner, keep her in the house, but really pretend like she's not there. So she waits and she waits and she waits. Look at verse 13. It says, uh, excuse me, verse 12. It says, so after a long time, underline after a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. And when Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the two men, uh, to, to, uh, to the men who were shearing his sheep. Look at this. And his friend, Hera, underline his friend Hera, the Adolamite went with him. Stop right there for just a minute. Hera, when Hera is around, Judah makes bad decisions. In fact, the only two times in all of Scripture that Hira is mentioned, it is to tell Judah to run away from his obligations with his family and now to go to Timnah so that they can sleep with prostitutes. That's what we're going to find out in this next passage. When Hira is around, bad decisions are made. Judah is at at a point in his life of great transition and great loss. If you're here today and you are a widow, this passage is very much for you. If you're here today and you are someone who has been a part of a massive breakup where you thought the person was the one and it ended up in the other direction, this sermon is for you today. If you've lost a job, then this sermon is for you today. Can I tell you why? Because when you're at a point of transition, the people that you surround yourself with or even just that you allow to be around you, they lean on you and they nudge you into bad things, or they can nudge you into good things. But if you are at a point of to transition today, this message is for you. Judah at his point of transition. here is not mentioned any other time, but when you're at a point of transition, you can justify stupid behavior. Because you feel like you either have earned it or you are justified in that behavior because it's been a tough time for you or a tough time in your circumstances. If you're taking notes, how do you protect yourself from folly? Number one, be mindful of who you are letting influence you. Let me say that again. Be mindful of who you are letting influence you. When here is around, Judah makes bad decisions. When here is around, Judah justifies horrible behavior that he pays for all throughout his life. This is a man who is going through a time of great grief. And here it goes, dude, let's go pick up some prostitutes. Be mindful of who you are letting influence you. You ever had this happen before? You ever had that friend, I say quote friend, okay, have you ever had that friend that you're standing by a swimming pool And they nudge you, and you fall into the pool. You ever had that happen before? I mean, everybody always thinks that's a really funny joke. I always think it's crazy. Have you ever had somebody nudge you into the pool or nudge you off a ledge? And there's a point where you're moving in slow motion, right? Because your body has tilted in that direction. And even if you try to shift your weight around, you know... You're headed down into the pool. You know you're headed for a fall, but there's that moment where you still have full clarity of thought, full recall of, wow, this is what's about to happen to me. That's what happens when you're going through grief. You've got people around you, and you are right on the edge, and they can nudge you, and that little nudge can be the difference between you being on dry land and you soaking wet in the pool. Who do you surround yourself with Do you surround yourself with people that nudge you in the right direction? Or do you surround yourself with people that are fully miserable and they really feel better about themselves when your life is just as destroyed as theirs is? If you're taking notes, I'll quote here for you. The proper nudge from a friend carries massive eternal ramifications. Let me say that again. The proper nudge from a friend carries massive eternal ramifications. You've got to come to a point where you realize when you are at a point of transition, widow, breakup, lost job, illness, diagnosis, divorce, when you are at that moment, the people you surround yourself with, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with, sounds like a great song. It is an awful lifestyle choice. If you just love whoever's around you, if you just connect yourself and attach yourself to whoever's around you, you are standing at the footstep of folly, and she wants to see you go down to the grave, Scripture says. Be mindful of who you are letting influence you. Now, just for the record... Benjamin Franklin said it this way. If you don't trust Scripture, there's always old Benjamin, all right? <laughs> Birds of a feather flock together, right? In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Apostle Paul says that same quote. He said it 2,000 years earlier this way, 1,700 1, years earlier this way. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That wasn't just Benjamin Franklin. That was the Apostle Paul way before him, all right? Bad company. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character who is it that you are allowing to be around you and are they nudging you in the right direction or nudging you in the wrong direction now that i can tell there are some of you in this room now going ah that is my story and that person ruined my life do not let me justify that in you your decisions cause difficulty in your circumstances they nudged but you listened who's around you matters But the decision that you made is yours to own, amen? Your decision you made is absolutely yours to own. Now this is another point where you would say, yep, that's why I'm making all my friends at church. Here's your second disclaimer. Not everyone at church is good. Let me say that to you again. Not everyone at church is good. Now you are highly likely to find someone at church who is like-minded. And yet, just because they go to church doesn't mean you need to trust them, amen? It's the way it works. You've got to trust the Spirit. The more we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our heart and life, the less likely we are to fall into those temptations and to make those poor decisions. But who you are around absolutely matters. If you're taking notes, and this is a really hard question. Are you ready for this? If you're taking notes, write this down. Is there a correlation with bad decisions you've made and certain people you're around? Let me say that again. Is there a correlation between bad decisions you've made and certain people you're around? Now again, this is not to place blame on them. This is for you to know who needs a boundary. For some of you, this circumstance, when you hear this question, the person that came to your mind is a family member. If that's you, or your spouse, if that's you, the goal is not that you go to them and go, Mom, Dad, I'm cutting you off. Pastor told me I can't talk to you anymore. You are folly, all right? That's not what you're supposed to do, but some of you are about to see family at Thanksgiving that you hadn't seen in a long, stinking time, and you know when they're around, bad things happen. If it's family or your spouse, draw a rigid boundary because you know when they're around, bad things happen. There are ways to love people without letting them nudge you and influence you. At the same time, there are some of you that need to run screaming from someone who has caused you difficulty and trouble. Because every time you talk to them, the cops get called in one way or another. Because every time you spend time with them, you end up paying for it later. And it was all because you were lonely. Or it was all because you were carrying something heavy and you just wanted somebody to talk to. For some of you, this moment right here, right now, could save your job. Because there is somebody in your office that is spewing hate and nudging on you, nudging hate over and over again, and you're sitting there going, I feel like I'm taking on their burden as my burden here in the office. I feel like I'm taking on their frustration as my frustration. Don't let that be you. Wisdom and folly call out from the same point in the city. Both are very visible. But one desires to make you stronger, and the other desires to see you go down because their life is in a shambles as well. Is there a certain person in your life? Or a correlation, sorry, is there a correlation with bad decisions you've made and certain people that you're around? When here is around, Judah makes bad decisions. This is not judgment. I'm hoping to give you a warning sign today. Now let's keep moving. Look at what happens next. Now look at Genesis 38, and let's look at verses 13 through 15. Here's what it says next. It says, when Tamar was told... Your father-in-law is on his way to Timna to shear his sheep. She knew what that meant. She took off her widow's clothes. "'covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, "'and then sat down at the entrance of a name, "'which is on the road to Timnah. "'For she thought that Sheila had now grown up "'and she had not been given to him as his wife. "'So when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, "'for she had covered her face.'" Stop right there for just a minute. Here's what you gotta notice. Judah is about to make a terrible, terrible decision, but here's what's nuts. Tamar is so angry She's sitting there going, he promised me. He says he's a man of God. He says that he's one who follows Yahweh. He's taught his kids, but man, they don't follow Yahweh. They don't do what's right. And now she's, she says, he's withheld this right from me. So he's going to Timnah to sleep with prostitutes. I'm going to go wait at the gate on the way to Timnah. So I'm the first prostitute that he comes by. And she covers up her face, but not her body. Now listen, Judah had chosen Tamar To be his son's wife. Judah had lived in the same house with her for years, but Judah saw what he wanted to see, and that was her body parts and not who she was. If you're taking notes, don't miss this one. How do you protect yourself from folly? Number one, be mindful of who you are letting influence you, and number two, be mindful of what your eyes are capturing. Be mindful of what your eyes are capturing. This woman he was looking at was not just anyone, but his daughter, his daughter-in-law. And he is looking at her with lustful eyes. And here she is. I mean, it's not just one sin. It's a whole trailer full of sins that you have in this circumstance. But he sees what he wants to see. I use that word capturing because I want you to picture this. It's the reason we use capture for a photograph. You capture the moment. It's not everything, and it's not a continuous piece like a video would be, but a picture, a captured photograph, or even a captured video encapsulates that time so that you have it and you can look back on it. Your eyes are constantly capturing new information. They're constantly capturing it, and it's hiding it in your mind and in your heart. It's the reason that Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, then your whole body is good. But if your eyes are wicked, then you are filled with wickedness. Jesus then goes on to say, what goes in a man comes out of a man. The things that we've captured in our mind and in our hearts eventually come out in the way that we deal with one another. And folly, avoidable mistakes, many of them start with the eyes. The things that we capture and that we take in. This is your big warning sign today. What are you putting in front of you? Now, just for the record, debt debt is all folly. Do you realize that? And that goes, by the way, on a governmental level as well. Debt is folly. It is an avoidable mistake. To spend money you don't have on things you don't necessarily need is an absolutely avoidable mistake. Look at my eyes. When it comes to me as your preacher, I didn't struggle with debt early on. You know when I started to struggle with debt? I started to struggle with debt when we had kids. It wasn't that I wanted stuff for myself. I was very able to say no to that stuff. But marketing has worked very, very heavily on me, because anytime I see something that I feel like my kids need, I just have to try to look at it and buy it. So this weekend, we went and hung out with TJ and Katie Beth. TJ's our youth minister. He and Katie Beth just got married. Uh, they're young. Katie Beth just turned 22, and, uh, and uh, TJ is 24, and we go out and we're spending time with them. Well, at the end of the night, we said, hey, they just opened a new Target out in Oxon Hill, and so we said to TJ and Katie Beth, hey, do you want to go to Target with us? And we'll show you this new Target that's come up. Some of you are like, you are a loser if you go to Target on a double date. Okay, but we did. It was great. I love it. Target, Target's a good example of the lust of the eyes. You walk in, and this isn't just a Target. The Target Knox and Hill is brand new. They've redone everything. Everything's brand new. Not only that, they've restocked the shelves. They got everything there, all the new stuff. It's been open like a week and a half. So we walk in, and when we do, there's the part that has the clothing. Not a problem for me, all right? I don't wear Target clothing. I'm too fat. It doesn't fit, all right? We walk past the food section. Totally fine. We had a freezer stock full of food at this point. But the toy section, we're walking through. Even the electronics section doesn't bother me. When we walk through the toy section, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, Lulu needs this. You ever said that before? Lulu needs this. And then it was, oh, Jack needs this. Oh, Harper needs this. And Autumn and I are both just hook, line, and sinker. Sorry about my mic today. Hook, line, and sinker. We're like, oh, he needs this, needs this, needs this. And we're saying that. And you got TJ and Katie Beth with no kids going, what is wrong with you people? (laughs) Well, finally, we stop. It's late at night. They're going to be asleep when we get home. And finally, it was like I come to my senses. I look at Autumn and I go, We don't need any of this stuff. She goes, oh, And it was like her eyes come back into her head. She goes, we don't. We don't need any of this stuff. We don't have any money. We're about to pay for an emergency room visit because of what happened with the kidney stone, right? She goes, We don't need any of this stuff. And we set it back down. And praise God, we walked out with any of that debt, all right? Now, listen to me debt is an avoidable mistake, it is folly to get into debt. And just for the record, welcome to the human race if you've ever had a struggle like that. It's just one of the ways that it works. You'd be smart if you begin listening to wisdom. If you're taking notes, one last little quote here for you today. Effective marketing blurs the line between desire and need. Let me say that again. Effective marketing blurs the line between desire and need. That is not just in the things we buy, but in the things that we take in and capture with our vision. Pornography blurs the line between desire and need. It comes to the point where you're able to justify all sorts of awful sexual behavior because the line becomes blurred from what you've captured with your eyes and hidden in your heart. It begs the final question today. What are you allowing in front of your eyes? What are you allowing in front of your eyes? I wrote a whole other half of the sermon and this is as far as we got today. It means that we're going to be on this weird story one more time next week. I tell you that to say this. There was something, some folly that we were supposed to dwell on this week so that hopefully you would listen to what the Lord has to say. One last thing. This is always the point when i got some legalist that comes up to me afterwards and they go, you didn't talk about Jesus today, Pastor. You're trying to say that it's a works-based salvation? Listen to me. We are saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone. Not through what we do, but through believing in what Christ has done for us. But we were also called to walk with him, to live for him, to be his disciple. And it says in scripture in the book of Ephesians that God created us in advance to do good works. Your salvation is built on nothing but Jesus. And for those of you who have fallen into folly, the good news for you today is Christ can forgive it. No matter what it is that you've done, he can forgive it. But moving forward, you will become who you were made to be, who you were fashioned by the creator of the universe to be when you learn to listen to wisdom instead of folly.